Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Episode number 81 of the Running Light Better Pleasure podcast, and I am Bo. Peter, didn't you say 82? Yeah, this is 82. <laughs> Did I say 81? I think I said 81. Oh, man, <laughs> messed up already. <laughs> Rewind the podcast. No, um, we're talking uh, about, we only have a little bit of time, so we're not going to take too much time, but we wanted to continue our, our dialogue on kind of sexual addiction and, and our ministry, Running Light Ministries, and why we don't take a real strong sex addiction methodology. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we kind of were we're in. Uh, we kind of made a comment about the Conqueror series, which is a very popular Christian series, and we talked a little bit about their definition of sex addiction, and and um, it says you may experience periods of abstinence for weeks, months, or years, but you've never been able to stop your behavior. It is possible to love Christ with all your heart and be sexually addicted, and we talked a little bit of how how that's confusing. Right. And this is kind of one of my biggest beefs, I think, with sex addiction is that it becomes really confusing right. as far as what to call an addiction and what we just, you know, what is just a sin right. that's in the Bible. Right. You know, so when it says, like, confess your sins one to another, James chapter 5, verse 16, um, are we meaning that that's, a, that's an addiction? Like, so if someone says, hey, you know, I'm... You know, I still overate. You know, um, do we do we pull that away from the word sin, or you know, just missing the mark of what God intended for right. eating? And now we use terms like addiction instead of just calling it what is. It seems like it's called in the Bible, right? Because um, this, and, and it seems confusing because when it says you've experienced abstinence for like a year, but then it says, but you've never been able to stop your behavior. Yeah. Um, well, no, you just stopped your behavior for 12 months. Yeah. Well, actually, it says years. Yeah. So <laughs> it could be like 36 months, 48 months, you know, like. <laughs> right. So I don't know if that. I don't know if any Christian is excluded from what he just said. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, is there such a thing as a Christian who has gone a a whole lifetime <laughs> without falling back into a sin? Because yeah. even if you went 40 years, you might still be in denial if you fall again. Well, from know. this. Yeah, from that. <laughs> you know, yeah, then it's it, pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, and then it, it tends to, it, then I, I see the methodology going into something that we, we ended on, and that is it goes towards um, the idea of denial. Right. Where when you go, okay, I bailed again, um, you know, is there something that in your past that you're still not reaching you're right. still not getting right um you know so it's it's kind of like the constant quest um you know for that thing yeah that happened yeah and that's that's kind of like i know we've talked about it in in the previous one but that's kind of my main beef with this this uh idea of sex addiction like using that terminology because, you know, you and I were just talking before the podcast about David Lay's article about how religious people tend to ident like self-identify as sex addicts uh, much quicker than uh, anyone else. And th the main problem there is that, like, for me, um, I don't 
usually use the word addict ever. Um, but if I were to entertain that word, what I would be referring to, what I'd be referencing, what comes to my mind is someone who is engaging in a habitual behavior that is so self-destructive that it is alienating them from basically the entire society and ruining their life in a very quick way. So for instance, it would be the difference between someone who maybe struggled a little with overeating and portion control versus the person um, who has, who is like 500 pounds overweight um, you know, and is bedridden, can't even get up, and is still eating, right? I would say that that person is in a much more severe state than a person who just has normal eating problems, or the person who say uh, maybe the high, the college student who gets drunk on a on a semi regular basis versus the person who's living under the underpass and just is getting drunk on a continuous basis and has is become homeless and ruin their whole life because of it or you know in the context of sex addiction not that I would like I said I, I pretty much steer away from that word no matter what but if I were to use it ever it would be to describe someone like uh, you know I know you and I have talked I, I once had a student um, who used to view pornography for nine hours a day um, now that's severe that's that's like really severe to the point where it was having like physical effects on him. I'm not going to get too graphic with you guys, but it was having major physical side effects on him um, from touching himself that many times a day and from, you know, just looking at a screen that many that for that many hours. Um, that Nine person, hours on a screen is hard. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> that's intense, man. Um, and viewing pornography and just like just viewing it straight. And, you know, that's self gratifying. Like he told me he was self gratify like you know 10 15 times every day wow which is like insane you yeah. know and that that person i would i would put in like a different category i don't even like, know if know. i would use the word addiction as much as just bondage right that dude's <laughs> just in yeah and, and that's exactly what i mean I, I still probably wouldn't use the word but in my brain when yeah. someone says porn addict that's the kind of severity of habitual sin i think of like that's where i go to um and so if, if you got like a a dude who you know has gone years <laughs> weeks months or years without viewing porn falls again and then goes another weeks months years without viewing porn it's like there's no way you could possibly say that that guy is in the same category as this other dude who's viewing it you know fifth you know nine hours a day self-gratifying 15 you know 10 15 times a day um or the person who is um, you know, like you and I have talked about the sixties, like sexual liberation kind of era Yeah. where you're just like, you're out there, you're having orgies like on a weekly basis. And what's interesting is how much does culture impact, you know, the idea of sex addiction? That's right. That's right. right. Cause back in the sixties, that person who's, you know, attending orgies and stuff like that, they may be considered wild by some of the conservative standards, but from like the more contemporary standard, they're just engaging in free love, you know? Right. And and not necessarily everyone who engaged in that stuff um, went on in this uh, pathological progression into um, the next stage of deviancy, quote quote unquote, sexual deviancy. Right. Um, so it doesn't it didn't it didn't just it hits everybody in different ways. Right. Um, and what I was reading is that that uh, pornography is not a super stimulus what they call a super stimulus um, and that has the same effect on everybody and anybody. Right. So it's like if you take cocaine or heroin 
and that's a super stimulus. You right. can give anybody cocaine, <laughs> anybody, <laughs> right? And they're, 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 they can go down the path. It has a certain biochemical reaction. That's right. That's predictable. That's right. Where with sex, it's not quite that way. Right. Um, even within, even within uh, sexual, quote, normalcy, right. there is so much variation. Right. Even, you know, within, quote, the monogamous Christian uh, marriage. Right. So you might, some, you know, 50-year-old married couple might talk to the 25-year-old married couple, and they might both think of each other odd right. in their sexual behaviors. You know, right? Well, I, I was even talking to this other couple a little bit ago, and they they said that that when they have sex, well, the man said when he had sex, it was kind of like a depressant, like it kind of calmed him down and like repressed things for him. And it's like with me, I I haven't really experienced that where it's like sex actually kind of amps me up, you know? Like yeah. It kind of like gets me stimulated. It doesn't it doesn't make me feel like oh, you know. I'm out. You I'm know? take a nap. I'm taking a nap, <laughs> but I know that it affects some men that way. Absolutely. You know, me and my wife will joke about that, where it's like, you know, there's the stereotype of the dude who just who finishes and just psh, passes out. Right. And it's like, if I have intimacy with my wife, like I'm I'm wired. Like I'm gonna be up for a while after that. You know, but that's just how it affects me. I'm, you know, it's just different. Yeah. So the Bible, when it talks about uh, sexual sin, it actually. Um, we we have to understand that everybody is given over to sexual sin from a biblical framework. Right. Um, when Romans one says uh, that we have that the wrath of God is revealed, and it's it's through um, even our sexuality speaks specifically in Romans one of of homosexuality. But then if you just go a little further in the chapter, right. it actually hits everybody. It lines out everybody, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it lines out everybody. So obviously it's not just talking specifically with homosexuality. It's talking about all kinds of behaviors. Right. Where the point of, you know, Romans one to three is to show everybody that they are all, you know, under the wrath of God and fallen away from his plan and purpose. And so all of our sexualities are deviant by God's standards. You know, yeah. they're all they're all off the mark. Which is so uh then it puts us all in okay, are we all sexual addicts? Right. According to that definition, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would agree. Yeah. If that's how we're using sex addiction, right. Then yeah, that's right. Just deviancy against what is intended, then yeah. <laughs> then then and, and that we all cannot get on the correct path all the time at all times right so even if you're not viewing porn you might not be having intimacy properly with your spouse the way you should quote right. you know as as filled with god and loving as god and right. as compassionate as god and as giving as god is you're not doing that perfectly. So, man, why don't you just feel like junk? Because yeah. <laughs> you can't do it no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, that tends to be the, the, the feeling that many people in, in the Christian environment have um, when it comes to thinking about their sexuality. There's not a lot of people that think of it in a positive way. And, and, and in a sense, that's a bummer. Um, um, in one way, it's good, meaning in one way, it seems like it's good to be able to look at um, 
the Bible and look at your actions and go, hey, we don't line up with with this kind of characteristic. Right. You know, love is patient, love is kind. Go down, you know, all the characteristics that Christ gives and go, man, I fall short of that ideal. Right. You know, um, but then then we tend to feel this weight of guilt and shame on top of it. Right. Um, and, and, and we we're missing something. It seems like in the process, we're missing this, this grace. Yeah. Um, this be able to live a life, uh, where we're not going, man, you know what? God, I didn't do, I didn't do that right. Yeah. You know, oh man. Um, you know, the, the kind of, that's such a, that's such a, gotta be such a frustrating life. Right. You know, where you're so wrapped up in your own condemnation all the time. Right. That's exactly where I was. Yeah. You know, where <coughs> in my mind, you know, again, if we label people sex addicts, porn addicts and stuff like that, it does have a dual effect where to the people who would consider themselves sex addicts or porn addicts, it puts them in a state of condemnation. But it also, to the people who aren't in those categories, it makes you feel proud and arrogant. Because then you feel like, oh, no, I'm I'm fine. Like, I'm normal. Like, my sexuality is fine because I'm not homosexual, because I don't view porn, because I waited till marriage. My sexuality is, like, totally normal, and it's good and honorable before God in every way. Um, and you can get that kind of idea. But the, the issue is with me, it's like I felt that way until I started viewing porn. Because I had, in my mind, I'd said, like, oh, well, that's, like, really gross. Like, I would never do that. And then I did it. And so it just brought me into this place where I felt like I had already in my mind condemned people who did that. And then I became one of them. And it just like completely wrecked my ideas of uh, who I was in Christ, um, my salvation by grace, my understanding of the love of God. Like it brought me so low. And then as I began to get out of it, and as we talked about last week with uh, the setting captives free, one of the things that like really hit me, which is so cool, was that at no point, at no point was my sexuality good before God. You know, that was an important thing for me to understand because I believed that I was good and then I fell, right? And then I wasn't able to receive grace anymore. But by doing that, I missed the whole point of grace, that grace is undeserved by definition, that grace is for sinners. And when I started to understand that, it was like, oh, no, no, the, the grace of God is just applicable to me, to, to me today as before I started viewing porn. Yeah. Right. There's no difference. And that was cool. To yeah. See. And, and, and I understand people, people, what we're, what people are implying is that, that the Holy Spirit fills you and you can now live a life pleasing and glorifying to God. Uh, therefore you should not be sinning. Right. Again. <laughs> and again. Right. You know, and, and and this is what, to me, there's so much Christian media. Hmm. There's so many Christian things you can listen to. There's so much overlapping of ideas. Like, for instance, if you're studying Romans chapter 1, and then you're studying the book of Hosea, hmm. you might get some different, like, thoughts going on. Right. Um, you might be, well, hey, is it okay to to marry a whore you know yeah. like is it okay to marry a prostitute or if you if you're reading hosea and you and you read even the torah you might get some 
you know, and, and the thing is, is people in the Christian life, they're today, they're listening to how many messages a day? Mm. How many different inputs are they getting? How many books of the Bible are they going over a day? And to me, what ha- what's happened is it's created an incredible amount of anxiety. Right. It's like an overstimulus, uh, a confusing stimulus. Because uh, they're not able to just go through a book of the Bible and just meditate on what it's saying and really think through it. Right. Um, instead, they're going, oh, I went through chapter one of Romans today, and then I also went through Philippians chapter two, and I also am studying Jeremiah chapter three. Right. <laughs> it's like, whoa. It's like man. an overload, yeah. Yeah, and, and it becomes confusing because um, there's different contexts. There's different reasons why different things are said at different times in history. Right. And if you don't take those things into account, you you get to that level of saying, okay, I'm supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does the Holy Spirit to, do? Well, it's to transform me into the image of Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual thing. It's not something I can do. It's something Christ can do in me. Right. So why do I want to go sin again? Oh, okay, I got it. Galatians chapter 5. I have a fleshly nature that wants to go do it. Right. You know, okay, so I understand that. But why do I continue to want to do it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you you keep asking that same question and you keep saying, well, okay, it's my flesh. It's my flesh. And that's true. Uh, But that doesn't suffice for most Christians today. Meaning there is some kind of idea that somehow we're we're getting that that or else you wouldn't say things like what that guy said in the beginning of the sex addiction manual. Right. You know, of that, hey, you know, if you if you fall back into pride, then after five years of not having pride, which <laughs> would be weird, yeah. um, you know, or you fall back into this behavior. <laughs> oh, excuse Peter. He's always, he's always touching his mic. Like <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, you know, it, you, you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, I think about Proverbs 24, 16 the righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. So, you know, in Proverbs twenty four sixteen, the definition of a righteous man is not someone who does not fall, uh, but it's someone who falls and is able to rise again and do better. Um, you know, or even what you said before, where he says, now that we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're able to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, here's the, here's the question. Does that mean that we're living a life pleasing to God based on works or is it based on something else? And the main chapter of the Bible that comes to my brain when I think about people who lived lives pleasing to God is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 goes through a list of people who lived lives pleasing to God. And when you look at the list, you look at a lot of failures, a lot of moral failures. You know, a lot of people who messed wouldn't up. Be, they wouldn't be allowed in our church today. They definitely would not. You got guys like, you know, Gideon. Uh, who no. had yeah. Samson. <laughs> Samson. No. Yeah, no way. David. You know, David. No. It's Abraham, you wouldn't let him in. No way. Guy had concubines, man. Yeah, had concubines, yeah. <laughs> Terrible. You know, you got Moses who spent the first 40 years of his life as a pagan. Isn't that odd yeah. that, that the Hall of Fame of Faith, we wouldn't even allow yeah. into a church? <laughs> Be like, no way, man. Definite major church discipline on these guys. <laughs> and the, the writer of Hebrews, you know, obviously his point, his central thesis for the entire book which culminates in chapter 11 is that it is impossible to please God without what faith, Faith, right? So I live a life pleasing to God based on what faith, you know? And, and I also think about Galatians too. That's another big one that comes to my brain. when I think about this topic where Peter 
uh, began to separate himself from the people that he started to see as unclean, the Gentiles. And Paul has to rebuke him to his face. And what does he say? He says, Peter, did not we also, did not we also receive salvation through grace? Yeah. Meaning that he's looking at Peter and he says, which of your good works saved you, Peter? You know, was it eating kosher? Was it being circumcised? Was it, right? And he could run down the list. Yeah, do your religious acts. Do your religious acts. None of them. He's like, what saved you? Faith and the finished work of Messiah, right? And so when I look at my life, it's like, what saved me? Was it sexual abstinence? Was it sexual purity? Yeah. It's like, no, it was faith in the Messiah. And what we're talking about when, we, when we're talking about faith is we're talking about really, our, the methodology in running light is really about treating the shame, um, not the porn. Right. And, and I know that's odd to a lot of people in the Christian world because there's so much sex addiction talk that they always go, hey, I'm a sex addict. I need your group. And, mm-hmm. and I don't say nothing to them. I don't say like, oh, okay, well, we don't really use that term, but come on down, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I just want them to be a, just come down and just check it out. Yeah. Um, but I like that, 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 that methodology of treating the shame because it seems like the Bible has a great remedy for shame, Yeah. Um, right? It says, hey, guess what? All your sin and shame... Man, God has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Right. Um, he has removed your sin from you. Um, I think of Isaiah where it says, Come, let us reason. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Yeah. I think of Colossians 1, God is able to present you blameless. I even think of Hebrews. You know, one of my favorite passages in Hebrews is when it talks about Jesus, one of the main ministries he does as a priest, how much more, when he talks about the priestly system, he says, if they could cleanse your flesh, how much more can the precious son of God with his spotless blood cleanse your conscience? Uh, From a guilty conscience. Cleanse you from a guilty conscience. And it's like, wow, like why is the writer of Hebrews focusing so much on the idea of this guilty conscience? Clearly because he understands it's impossible to please God without faith. And a guilty conscience weighs you down from trusting in the work of God. Yeah. It brings you away from him. Yeah, so it's like our identity in Christ is like vital because right. that's what deals with shame. That's right. And, you know, even even thinking about it, you know, I know that you and I have talked to a lot of men and even women, wives or whoever who have bought into the sex addiction thing. And a lot of times they'll be like, well, I don't even think that either the husband saying this or the wife saying this or whoever saying this about this person. I don't really think they have faith in Jesus Christ. Like they seriously immediately doubt their salvation. Because like, there's no way someone who's saved could be a sex addict, right? It doesn't really go together. And, um, yeah, that's that's so crazy. If you Again, if you define sex addiction as just struggling with it, you know, of just falling. Yeah. Now, obviously, me and Bo believe that faith, um, as we put our faith, as we put our trust in God, and as we grow in a relationship with him, he does teach us to walk in a more righteous and humble way, and he does deliver us from our sin issues slowly, but we believe that that process will not be completed here. Yeah, and, or it could be quickly. Right. I'm not opposed to that. Right. <laughs> you know, I've had certain things that have seemed to left, really yeah. have left. You know, um, that's for sure. Um, you know, why was David uh, a man close to God? Why was he a man after God's own heart? And mm-hmm. and and I don't think many people get this i think they tend to think that david when he repented of bathsheba he was all good to go and that's why god loved him and again that's a system based off work right that's saying that david's love god's love for david 
in being or in David's love for God, but God's love for David was because David repented of his sin with Bathsheba. It's because what da- what David did. Yeah. You know, but if you read the Psalms, you re- you realize one thing: David was at the full mercy of God. Right. He absolutely knew he was undone right. before God. There was no one repentance of Bathsheba, and King David felt like, "Man, I'm great." Yeah. His only peace came from identifying with the mercy of God. Right. And and our peace only comes from. Are identifying with the mercy of God. We identify with the the grace and the mercy of God. Where is the grace and the mercy of God seen most? It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Right. You know, that's what pleases God, Mm. is that we identify with his mercy and his grace. We go, man, I see myself in you. Um, And... And that means whatever, however you need to act in my life, if there needs to be correction in my life, if there needs to be judgment in my life, if there needs to be um, whatever it is, Lord, you are my father and, and you know what is best for me. And may you be glorified in it. Right. And when you have and that mentality, it's so cool because, you know, I, it was Spurgeon who said it because uh, people were criticizing him for talking about repentance as being a focus on the love of God and not the justice of God because he was around a lot of fire and brimstone type preaching. And uh, he responded by saying, the Christian who understands the grace of God will repent even more intensely than the one who doesn't. He says, the one who doesn't understand it will be doing their works to try to appease God. And so it will be based on their own effort out of a guilty conscience, which is itself selfish. But the person who fully understands the grace of God is going to desire um, passionately be zealous to go after the Lord, not out of a guilty conscience, but out of a genuine love and desire for him. Yeah. And that passion's stronger. And that's why we spend so much time studying the Bible and trying to get to know that identity in Christ. That's right. Um, Getting to know the grace of God. Um, And so the more we can get to know the grace of God, the more we will repent, uh, the more we will bring things before God, the more we will walk humbly. Does that mean perfectly? Some people say, yeah. yeah. But we're, w- what I'm seeing throughout the Bible is that the answer is no. Yeah. Is that Hebrews 11 wasn't because these guys even repented of all their sin. Right. And I know that's a scary thing to say, but they didn't repent of all their sin That for what we know. Right. Um, um, I've had I've had weird conversations with people where they they're convinced that everyone in Hebrews 11 repented of their sin just off the pages of the Bible, and I was like that would be very odd if in God's word He left out an important part of these dudes' lives to just kind of paint them because like every single one of them when they're dying, it's painting them as like they're dying in some pretty severe sin. Well, they're you know? dying, and even the next chapters talk about their concubines. Right. And their <laughs> I mean, so it'd be really hard, I think, to make the argument that. You know, um, like they repented, but they kept doing it. Yeah, where (laughs) Solomon had, you know, temples of Molech built. Right. Where, you know, so it's like these things all were there. It's not like he destroyed the temples. Right. Um, So that came later on in different reformations of the kings of Israel. So I guess what I'm saying is that when you keep reading, (laughs) if you keep on reading, you (laughs) got to see the effects of you know, their lives. What they did, yeah. Yeah, so that's very tough. Well, we're going to end there, this this section of the podcast, and we're kind of talking a little bit about why um, we prefer more of what we call the identity, identity 
methodology over um, a, a sex addiction methodology um, in working with people um, who come to us with these issues. And uh, next week we'll kind of kind of start touching over a, a little position paper that we're putting together and just different ideas of why we like to stay away from um, the term sex addiction. And once again, me and Peter aren't opposed totally <laughs> to this term. Right. Um, so it doesn't, it, it's not going to freak us out or we don't, every time someone says it, we don't go, oh no, you know, <laughs> we totally understand. Yeah. And there are cases where there's no doubt, um, you know, that label can be justifiably probably put on someone. Um, and uh, uh, so we just wouldn't agree so much with the pathology of it. Um, um, and um, so I wanted to throw that out there once again, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but it's very fun to talk about these issues because it really helps us as leaders to kind of know what we do and why we do it. And also it gives people that listen a chance to kind of to think through these issues too. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.